Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> Welcome back to Team of Our Lives, a relatively new football podcast dedicated about all things in the noughties. Does it get any better than that? Joining me this week, as ever, is our resident Portsmouth fan and documentary filmmaker, Mr. Harry Hansford. How are you, oh. sir, this week? How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. How are you? Yeah, surviving, mate. It's been, it's been a weird week, politically, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about David Ginola playing for Aston Villa and, uh, and, the, <laughs> and, and the rest of it, I guess. I guess that's where we're going to end up. Anyway, anyway, today's episode is all about the most impactful transfers in the Premier League. Not necessarily the best transfers or the worst transfers, but a player who came in and instantly made an impact, whether that was scoring goals, keeping clean sheets or being that captain that elevates the team to success or avoiding relegation. We'll be discussing all those topics and more, as well as playing our regular features, including Deal or No Deal, the Robbie Savage Hall of Fame, and ending on the starting 11. And we'll also be including one of our new features, Kevin Friends Reunited. All will be revealed very, very shortly indeed. But before we get into the main part of the show, I've got a question for you, Harry. Yeah. Do you play the popularised video game FIFA. I do. Now, am I the only one who turns off the commentary and does the commentary themselves? 
<laughs> um, maybe I can't say I, I do that. I'm afraid. Uh, I have. You can't. I haven't worked out how to do it in in the most recent one. But I used to be able to. I used to do a lot. Turn off the English commentary and just put on random other languages just to see how they were. Go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, that's all. Yeah, exactly. But doing it myself, no, I can't say I've ever done that. But I'm sure you're not the only one. You know, you know I fancy myself as a bit of a pundit, but um, I'm probably not the only one. But I, the, you know when you just come up with something and you're like, how on earth did I do that? I should, I should be working for BT Sport. And, I, <laughs> I'll, and I'll give you an insight into what it's like in my brain. So I'm playing a Plymouth Argyle career mode at the moment. Okay. I've got us into the Premier League. Yeah. Not ashamed to say. And I signed a player called Ahmed Katuchu, who's a striker for Schalke. And I signed him on loan. And I was playing in the semi-final of the Carling Cup. Carling Cup? Carabao Cup, whatever it is. And um, <laughs> Carling Cup is very much on brand, though, for Northeast football. <laughs> um, so I signed Ahmed Katuchu as my secondary striker. He was on the bench. He came on in the Carling Cup semi-final and uh, scored a injury time winner. And uh, do you know the song I Am The Walrus by The Beatles? <laughs> yes. Yes. You might know where this is going if you know the lyrics. <laughs> so if, if you don't know the lyrics to I Am The Walrus, uh, the chorus goes, uh, I am the Eggman, we are the Eggmen, I am the Walrus, Uku Kachu. Now, I've already nicknamed Akmed Katuchu the Eggman because he's bold. Um, so when he scored the injury time winner, I went, <laughs> he is the Eggman, we are the Eggmen, I am the Walrus, Ahmed Katuchu. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, I was just, just kind of had to pause the game, sit back and go, you know, I really should be a commentator with, with cunning people's <laughs> references like that. Oh, kind of. There we go. Very relevant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially the, one of the more avant-garde songs. I'm the Walrus. <laughs> Do you remember? We, go on. When uh, we we were at uni. Do you remember our career mode on FIFA? No, I'll be honest here. No. We we took a we, we took a certain team from League Two all the way to to the Champions League glory. Do you not remember who that team was? Was it not Plymouth? Was it Plymouth? It wasn't Plymouth. It's older shot town. Oh, of course it was, yeah. And we, we never once sold Danny Hillen. We made him like the best <laughs> player in the world. <laughs> super, super Dan, super, super Dan, super, super Dan, super Danny Hillen. Getting to those older shot town games was pretty funny. I've still got a picture of it oh. when it was like absolutely covered in snow and they still oh, played the game. crazy. I, think, I remember it was like, at the time, I was like, oh, League Two, I've never seen that. And look, watching it and being like, oh, this is so amateur, this is terrible. Fast forward like two years later, I'm at Fratton Park in League Two. Oh, yeah, great. for sure. <laughs> for sure. Oh dear. Well, let's let's get on, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get on to the main bulk of the show. And and this week, as we discussed earlier, it's all about impactful transfers. Maybe you support a team, and we're not going to mention some of your players. If not, send in on Instagram or on Twitter, uh, on Instagram Oscars11.football, and on Twitter at Team of Our Lives, send us your players who made the most impactful transfer for your club. And if you haven't already, uh, follow wherever you listen to this podcast or subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube. Um, but before we get into, uh, to divert on a tangent yet again, when I was doing a bit of research for impactful transfers, I came up with, I, I found two stories that I hadn't come across in Naughty's football before. 
Okay. Um, I'm hoping you haven't heard of these because I found these truly interesting. So the, I've titled the, uh, these two stories. The first title is named The Story of the Collins. Okay. And the second oh, one, the second one is the Coca-Cola Kid. So, uh, oh, I know that one. You know that one. Okay. Yeah. Well, our listeners might not, but um, okay. I'll tell you the Collins transfer story first. So, on in the season 2003-2004, um, former Fulham and Scotland midfielder John Collins retired. He called it a day at Craven Cottage, and at the same time, Fulham signed Dutch under-21 superstar Collins John. And a ceremonial uh, exchange took place before a match at Craven Cottage where John Collins departed and Collins John had arrived. <laughs> incredible. That's Absolutely incredible. incredible. Not bad. And the Coca-Cola kid, um, Harry might know, but for you, those of you at home who might not know this, it's an incredible story that you just, you never get away with this nowadays with all the financial fair play and investigations and sort of corrupt money. Um, but perhaps one of the oddest transfers in football history happened in the 0405 season. Uh, this is the season Coca-Cola began a very long-lasting relationship with football by sponsoring the football tiers in England, tiers two to tier four. Now, with obvious brand exposure, the lower leagues in England became even more recognisable with all the Coca-Cola branding, you know, Coca-Cola League Two, Coca-Cola League One, and of course the Coca-Cola Championship. In the January transfer window, they'd done something no sponsor of the league had ever done before, and it was an absolutely brilliant marketing ploy in its own right. They would run a competition that would give a fan the chance to win £250,000, but the fan wouldn't get the money. It would go to the club they supported. It would go directly to their transfer budget. Uh, the competition was called Win a Player, and a quarter of a million was quite a lot of money to a club in League One. Even in the Championship, it was a lot of money. Uh, back then as well and there were 1.1 million entries into the competition uh, the first one of which was named by a chap called Aaron Berry who was a Brighton fan uh, Brighton would spend the money on none other than a wonder kid from Berry Harry do you know who it is uh, Colin Kazim Richards it is indeed Colin Kazim Richards who still plays today and um, he would immediately get Brighton relegated into League One um, <laughs> so it didn't it didn't it didn't turn out to be a very good transfer whatsoever but obviously Kazza Richards is probably most known in the UK anyway for playing under Neil Warnock's Sheffield United also had spells in Turkey with Fenerbahce and Galatasaray uh, Olympiacos Blackburn Rovers Feyenoord Celtic Bursaspor Coritiba Bieber uh, Corinthians Veracruz and now plays for Wayne Rooney's Derby County in which he has scored seven goals this season but Harry do you know who the second Coca-Cola kid was they ran this competition the year after and then it finished who is the second oh, Coca-Cola kid I have no idea. Um, I only just know first. Just, just guess a random uh, League One or Championship player from around that time, the mid two thousand, so the 0506 season. Uh, so we go. I can, I can tell you. I'll give you a clue. The uh, competition was won by a fan named Chantel, who was a Southampton fan. Is it like Jason Punchin? You're not too far off. It was neither than Bradley Wright Phillips. Oh, I was. Uh, I was torn between the two. Even before you said Southampton fan, I was like, is he the Jason? Oh, I'm so annoyed with myself. I could look so so smart then. <laughs> so I thought those, um, those, yeah, that was quite interesting, that marketing boy, wasn't it? Very interesting. Yeah. Imagine that sure. nowadays just wouldn't happen. I think the, <laughs> even, very even, strange. even the championship you know, gets quite a bit of money now from like TV rights, etc. So yeah, for sure. Just wouldn't happen. Anyway, without further ado, let's go on to the most impactful transfers 
of the noughties. Um, now I've broken this down into kind of different positions, but I think we're going to start off with goal scorers. Um, so Harry, do you want to go first? Who are you going to nominate um, for one of the most impactful transfers of the noughties? Okay. So if we're going to start with goal scorers, I'm going to start with uh, none other than Didier Drogba. Um, we came in from Marseille. I think it was quite hefty. I think it was £24 million pounds mm. at the time was obviously a lot of money. But you think for Chelsea, I think it straight away... I might be wrong, but I think straight away they won the league. But he he yeah. was all he was like top goal scorer like consistently. He wins three leagues of a man in Champions League. I think it's pretty impactful for a yeah, uh, definitely 100%. unknown striker in on these shores anyway. Yeah, definitely. And he came in with the new Abramovich money as well. Cons- considering the strikers before that, Jimmy Hotford Hasbank went to Middlesbrough and he left when he was age thirty two, I believe. So he was no longer a viable option to lead Chelsea's line. You had Mattia Kesman, I don't know if you remember him, um, who flopped at Chelsea, but he was very good at PSV. And you also had a Romanian cocaine addict, uh, Adrian Mutu. And, um, <laughs> That's a whole episode <laughs> on itself. Yeah, the, those two names could arguably go into the Robbie Savage Hall of Fame. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, and then Didier Drogba came in. In his first season, he scored 16 goals, scored six assists. And yeah, helped them to the Chelsea's first ever Premier League trophy. And they won the League Cup in that year as well and would go on to win four FA Cups, four Premier League trophies and of course the Champions League. And is also a two-time African footballer of the year. Um, there might be some obvious choices in this list, but there's no reason why we can't do that. So my first obvious choice is Ruud van Nistelrooy. Yeah, um, absolutely unreal in his first season. This is a time when Manchester United had kind of let go of all of their class of 92 not let go of the class 92, but that treble winning season, they pretty much let go of all their strikers like Teddy Sheringham, Andy Cole, Dwight York, uh, Canton and I buggered off by that point ages ago as well. Um, but the transfer was £19 million and it was delayed as well because uh, he got injured at PSV. Um, had a okay. quite serious quite serious knee injury. So United got him in the 0-1 season, but they were meant to get him a year before. And for that season, he only made 12 appearances. So we were getting an injury-prone Rudolf Nistelrooy. So we didn't really expect too much from him. But in his first season, we may not have won the title, but he scored 36 goals and got 11 assists in his first season. Um, I mean, that's just a ridiculous amount of goals. It's a pretty, yeah, considering he was you know, injured as well and hadn't yeah. played for like nearly a year, like uh, kind of consistently. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty mad. Who, who else you got for us then? Um, well, let's have a look. So I, I have put him on here, but uh, I don't think he had quite the impact in his first. It didn't quite have impact until he came later. But the impact he had for that club, uh, and that's uh, following on with the Vans. That's Robin Van Persie, um, because obviously he came in uh, to sort of be the replacement eventually for Thierry Henry, and he was eight. You know, he was at, he was at the club for eight years, and it was probably only his last two seasons where he was actually world-class and then left for Man United. But the, yeah. but I think to get a move from Arsenal to Man United anyway shows that it was such a big, such a good buy. Because I think he cost like £4 million when they signed him. It was like pretty much nothing. When you think Van Nistelrooy years earlier was £19 million or something you just said. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think you could probably argue that Van Persie was an exceptional impact transfer for Manchester United more so than Arsenal because um, he hit the ground running yeah, and won, won the league sure, in his first season. Yeah. yeah, 100%. But 
Um, I'm going to go with another Dutch striker, which means it's three in a row, and we're not we're not biased towards the Dutch. Um, but Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank is a two t- <laughs> is a two time he's a two time impact transfer both for Chelsea and for Middlesbrough. Five-time world champion. Um, so he joined Chelsea. <laughs> WCW champion. <laughs> Any Booker T fans? <laughs> That's a whole different podcast. Oh, God. It's not, it's not uh, across the two. I've got my brain's filled up with knowledge already. Um, so, yeah. Uh, he joined Jimmy Floyd Hasbrook, not Booker T. joined uh, Chelsea in the... Uh... <laughs> Imagine if Booker T joined Millsborough. <laughs> Some sort of alternative reality. <laughs> Probably be the top goal scorer. <laughs> Imagine the high kicks. You do like a Ibrahim. Yeah. Oh my oh. god! Genius! Absolute genius! I've got a mock that one. <laughs> Can you dig it? Middlesbrough. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Oh, we're fucking 10 minutes in and we've lost the plot already. Oh, excellent. <laughs> anyway, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Yeah, um, joined Chelsea in the um, 2000 2001 season and quickly bagged 26 goals and seven assists for the Blues. And as mentioned earlier, at the age of 32, uh, moved to um, the WWE. Nope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Moved, moved to Middlesbrough um, and became one of their highest paid players and uh, scored 16 goals in quick succession, helping Middlesbrough finish seventh and uh, qualify for the UEFA Cup at the time as well. So that was, he was impactful both at Middlesbrough and Chelsea. Um, oh, hell, sure. hell of a player, Mr. Hasselbank as well. Yeah. Go on, myself. What, what, what else you got? Um, so I'm going to, I was looking at uh, impactful in not in the way that we've been looking at so far with like how well they've done, but impactful in uh, showing the beginning of like a new era. So while we're on, um, uh, while we're on people up front, I think we, we, we can't deny the impact Robinho signing for Man City is. I know we've somewhat touched on this before, but you know, it's the first high profile signing under Shakeman's or it was 42.5 million pounds. And it, it just let people know that, Man City were about to start their own little Galacticos project. Um, it's good like, shout. I, uh, I, I, Robinho didn't even cross my radar, to be fair. And you're right in what I you're mean, saying, because he was impactful, not for, I mean, obviously he did get quite a lot of goals in his first season, but he was impactful yeah. in the sense of, as you said, it was, it was the start of a new, new kind of money ball era, wasn't it? For sure, yeah. And yeah, I mean, like, obviously he went on to be a little bit of a flop and then moved uh, to Milan where he was a bit better. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just it was just the beginning of that. All you know, all of a sudden, uh, a whole new team ready f- to challenge for the title. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, and he, he was he was the marquee signing. He was signed on the. I think we might discuss this before on the same day the Abu Dhabi group came in, took over the club. Yeah, deadline day. Um, so yeah, remarkable, remarkable. Um, I'm going to move. I'm going to just list off the rest, kind of the rest of the strikers I have really in the goal stories. Um, so Teddy Sheridan, um, he's probably well regarded and it's one of the most prolific English strikers of all time. Uh, sure. However, the former treble winning striker would have his most prolific season with West Ham in the championship, wow. uh, with whom he helped restore to the Premier League by scoring 21 goals in his first season um, and would also win championship player of the year at the tender age of 38. 
um, which is a bit bit of you know it tends to be a good a good bit of business at West Ham because they got him on a free as well, and yeah, uh, he sure. proved he proved a lot of people wrong. Not strictly the Premier League, those guys listening, but yeah, he got West Ham into the Premier League. Um, another one as well is of course Darren Bent, who again is a <laughs> five time no uh, he's a he's a he's a two time kind of uh, impact transfer candidate for this I guess. After a prolific season in the Championship of Ipswich Town, Charlton paid a handsome three million pounds for the twenty one year old. Little did they know they would bag a bargain in his first season in the Prem and with Charlton Athletic, he scored twenty two goals. Not bad for a twenty one year old. Uh, he also had an extraordinary first season with Sunderland. So Sunderland's obviously a club we've spoken about a lot before. It's synonymous with relegation battles and constantly being a yo-yo team. But in his first season with the Black Cats, he scored 25 goals and helped them to a 13th and then a 10th place finish, which is the highest um, they've ever been in the, in the Premier League. Pretty nuts, isn't it? Um, and my last two for strikers are Dimitar Berbatov. Um, obviously, Bulgaria haven't produced too many great talents in the recent years. Two but <laughs> Two times. Yeah, well, maybe. Yeah, I suppose. Berbatov isn't a... It's probably the main candidate in recent years for being a, being the Bulgarian player that people kind of go to. And he had, a, as we all know, he had a very kind of callous approach to his slow play and was kind of just very graceful in the way he'd done things. Um, but he signed for Spurs for only £10 million and they definitely got their money's worth because in his first season, he scored 20, 23 goals for them and uh, helped them into Europe by finishing fifth, which was you know, something they hadn't done in nearly 10 years by that point. And lastly, for strikers, is uh, Fernando Torres. He actually helped Atletico Madrid in 2002 get into La Liga. Uh, people forget they were actually in the second division of, uh, of Spanish football. So he helped them get into La Liga in 2002 and all in all scored 91 goals for them. Uh, Liverpool would spend £20 million plus Luis Garcia going in the opposite direction uh, for Fernando Torres. Although he didn't win anything in his first season with the Scousers, he did score 33 times, which is nuts. Nuts. Uh, so, Harry, have you, have you got any more kind of um, players who maybe aren't goal scorers? Yeah. Um, yeah, OK, let's move. So, we'll stick with Liverpool then. Um, and this will be uh, Benitez's first signing when he became manager, and that being uh, Xabi Alonso. Um, again, it's not they didn't necessarily do anything amazing in that first season, but he, he came in and... Uh, at the same time, Gerard was umming and ahhing about whether he was going to leave his boy club for Chelsea. And um, it was Alonso coming in that really yeah, made him dis- decide to stay. So for that reason, it's very impactful. And of course, the career that Xabi Alonso went on to have, um, both at Liverpool and back in uh, Spain as well, was an incredible career. Yeah, I saw, I saw him play for Bayern Munich a few years ago. Yeah, incredible player. What he um, so he, he won the Champions League in his first season, Xabi Alonso as well. Oh, uh, the 5 season that was in the first season. And what he done creatively is that he freed up Gerrard to kind of do what he needed to do. Yeah. He was Gerrard could rely on him because he couldn't really rely on Dimar Hamang or you know uh, Mohamed Sissoko were, weren't quite good enough. You know, so it's uh, yeah, sure. definitely good shout actually, good shout. Um, I'm going to talk about a few defenders now. Uh, Ashley Cole, the most decorated English player of all time. He won, has won 18 major trophies across his career and is, is, of course, an invincible with the Arsenal side and arguably one of the greatest left-backs that England has ever produced and at one time is probably one of the world's best. Um, he is definitely one of England's most consistent players in recent years. In 2006, though, he controversially moved to Chelsea from Arsenal. For how much money, Harry? 
Oh, <laughs> did I write this down? <laughs> um, I actually, I'm not sure. It was five was it? million pounds. Was, was, really? Is that all? Plus William Gallas. Oh, yes, of course, Gasman. Going in the other direction. And uh, yeah, Arsenal fans were pretty pissed off. They printed 20 pound notes with Ashley Cole's face on and burned them in protest. Um, but Chelsea doubled his wages, so there was no way that he wasn't going to go there. Um, but he saw instant success in his first season, uh, stabling the back four and winning the FA Cup in League Cup in his first season there. So um, very, very good investment Incredible. from Chelsea's point of view, I suppose. Definitely. Yeah, Anyone else? Sure. And I, I remember at the time as well, with um, it did seem a bit strange that you'd leave Arsenal on the pursuit to win trophies, but then history has proven he was right because oh, Arsenal... Yeah weren't going to win the league again anytime. If anything, it's, in, it's incredible um, foresight. Yeah, for sure. And while we're on the topic of people with back then, uh, I'm going to go with Sol Campbell, um, but for actually joining Portsmouth, because he okay. joins Portsmouth on a free, um, but that was like the real, that was the opening of, of the doors for these sort of bigger players to come to Portsmouth uh, where before maybe we weren't going to sign huge names. Now that Campbell would came, come, you had a few, uh, you know, other players realised they could. So England internationals like David James, Glenn Johnson, Peter Crouch all signed fairly shortly after because, oh, if Big Soul can go there, that must mean they're a major team, right? So for that reason, it was impactful for me. <laughs> Well, I, funny enough, Saul Campbell was the next player I was going to talk about because not necessarily for Portsmouth, but for Arsenal because um, uh, his, yeah. his, his first season of Arsenal, he won the league. But people forget before that, he yeah. made 300. Some players don't play 300 games in their career. He made 315 appearances for Tottenham, scored quite a few goals and sure. even, even won the League Cup with them. Some may call you a legend for doing that. However, yeah. you know, Saul Campbell to Spurs is... Judas, absolute Judas. Oh, sure. Even to this day, you know. And obviously he moved to Arsenal on a free because of the Bosman ruling. And in his first season won the league. So yeah, even when he returned to Arsenal after Portsmouth, he was still getting boos from the Tottenham fans. And you know, oh, for sure. They they still haven't really forgiven him. But what a player, no. what a player. Oh, incredible player. Yeah, for sure. I mean, get I think it's hard anyway losing a player to your closest rival, but when they've specifically said in the press oh, I'm not going there <laughs> and then they turn up there like Sol did that's just unfortunate unfortunate from his agent telling him to say that most likely and frustrating for all the fans to think you know this because he's a hero he was a hero to them obviously with that many appearances and stuff so I can get why they, they've never forgiven but you can also see why he moves you know there's the so oh, many sure I mean, maybe we can do an episode on controversial transfers. You've just got the Figo switching alliances, yeah. Barca and whatever else, you know, Tevez going to Man City. There's, there's so many examples. It's, it's just all about money now, isn't it? So, it's the way it is. It is. The way it is. Um, the last two defenders I was going to kind of talk about was uh, in conjunction, really, is Ricardo Carvalho and Paolo Ferreira, again, stabling that back four with John Terry and uh, later Ashley Cole when he joined. Um, sensational defenders who just stabled the back line for Chelsea. They cost £20 million each from Porto and they would win four league titles on the trot because obviously they both won uh, league two league titles with uh, Porto in 03-04 uh, 
and the year before that, and they would go straight into the Chelsea side and win the league in their first two seasons uh, with Jose Mourinho. Um, sure. It doesn't get more impactful than that, does it? For defenders as well. Not at all. And as you say, like that, it just sort of revolutionised that Chelsea team. Have like John Terry coming in as well. You could argue is majorly impactful. I think it's like the second or third signing under Abramovich, and obviously he anchors that team for so many years. But obviously they're still leaking goals. So to bring in uh, these two extra defenders have just helped out and immensely as well. I remember Carvalho just seems like something absolutely different in the Premier League at the time as well. He was just so consistent. He just didn't make a mistake for quite a long time. I know in his later years, he kind of tended to. I think Mourinho doesn't get enough credit. It's that he'd only ever managed Porto before that, really. Oh, yeah. He comes into the Premier League with this new money. He has a whole team brand new. None of them have played together before. Drobber from Marseille, Petr Cech from Enrique, uh, came from Rennes in France. Um, a few other players, Bastion, Damien Duff. Like bash them, all to, bash them all together, and he gets those kind of performances out of them. He, he just, yeah, you know, not, not many ma- that would have destroyed many managers. They would have got sacked. Anyway, um, let's move on to a few players that may have saved teams from relegation. Um, just as important as scoring goals is maybe a player who doesn't score many goals, but the goals he does score or you know helps not to concede keeps your team in the Premier League with that. Juicy, juicy money from all the TV rights, and uh, you know we saw we've seen in recent years, like sort of uh, Portsmouth, Charlton, Blackburn, all take a massive decline in financial. You know, you know, all three of those clubs have gone into liquidation because of dropping out through the leagues. It was a big part yeah, of that. Sure. So these players, they might not even play that many games, and that is no more true for Carlos Tevez at West Ham. <laughs> um, for Carlos Service at West Ham and helping West Ham stay in the top flight. West Ham could be oh, in League yeah. One, that could be in Portsmouth's position right now. You never know. Um, so Tevez was also joined by West Ham in the January transfer window of the 05 06 season. Um, in one of the most controversial transfers in history, really, as they were technically owned by a first party ownership, meaning that they were signed from the MSI Sports Group rather than rather than Corinthians from who they played for in Brazil. Uh, West Ham would get the players on a free. Or the transfer money would go to the MSI Sports Group, who technically own the players' rights. Now, of course, this practice is now banned because of this incident in large part. And West Ham were actually fined 5.5 million, so it cost them a lot more. Um, but I suppose it didn't cost them as much as being relegated in hindsight. Uh, though both players were cleared by the FA to play, Tevez himself would make an in- instant impact after an, an initial winless streak of um, games. He then scored seven goals in a row. Uh, which gave West Ham a fighting chance of not being relegated. And on the last day of the season, West Ham were due to go down, but astonishingly, he scored the late winner against Manchester United, meaning Sheffield United and Wigan were relegated. And they haven't forgiven West Ham since. No, especially Sheffield United. they taken them to court and won. Uh, I can't remember the amount off my head, but got a settlement from West Ham. Mm. Um, but yeah, I remember even... On day one, but when uh, both Tevis and Mascarano turn up in the either side of Alan Padre with their shirts, I remember there was already uh, speculation about how and why this had happened because both of them had done amazingly in Argentina and with the national side and were expected to join huge teams. And here they are turning up at 
West Ham, who at the time weren't even uh, as successful as they are now, and you know, were managed, as I said, by Adam Pardew. <laughs> so you can't imagine him even knowing who they were beforehand, really. <laughs> All I remember, I remember clearly when he's when the players being shown off at Upton Park or the Billing Ground. And yeah, as you said, you've got Mascarano to the right, Tevis on the left, Alan Pardew in the middle. And they just look fucking confused. Like everyone yeah. there just looks bewildered. They just Tevez is kind of putting this fake smile on. Mascarano <laughs> clearly does not want to be there. Um yeah, it was it was very odd how that all came about. Oh yeah. I, I believe MSI uh were trying to force a, a a bid in to buy West Ham. Um so I think like if that happened, if they successfully bought him then it could have easily been swept under the rug. And I guess that was the plan. It was like, we're by the club. No one will know. <laughs> but Terrible. obviously, it wasn't to be. Have you got any players who maybe helped a team from relegation? Uh, I can I can, t- I can, tell you one player that helped Portsmouth stay up almost single-handedly. Go on. Um, and that's, we've mentioned him a few times before, that's Pedro Mendes. Yes. Yeah. Love that he, man. He signed with Portsmouth uh, in the January transfer window in 2006 alongside Sean Davies and uh, Neo Pamaro all from Tottenham for a combined fee of £7.5 million what if if that isn't the greatest transfer (laughs) deal ever because okay Sean Davies became quite a good servant when we became rubbish Pamaro was a great player that never really hit it for us but for Pedro Mendes alone that's a bargain Um, and then in that first season We've got, we're in the relegation zone. We've got no right to stay up. And uh, what Pompey fans call the great escape starts with Pedro Mendes scoring two 30-yard screamers against Man City at Fratton Park to turn it around and give us a win. And from there, we went on like a unbeaten run until I think till the end of the season and obviously stay up. Jeez. All inspired by that man, Pedro Mendes. Great. Well, I, just re- I can't remember who you're playing against, but he scored like two goals from 35 yards in one game. And yeah. um, I always used to buy him on FIFA just for his long shots. Yeah, well, for me, it was amazing when we signed him because I started signing him on FIFA uh, from Tottenham already. So I thought, like, I've scouted this man as if, like, other people didn't know how good he was. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. How dare it. Yeah, I think the game you're talking about is the Manchester City game in uh, March of that year. Yeah, Both shots right. were, like, from 25 yards out and... Uh, yeah, I think the first one gave us a lead on the hour mark, and the second one, uh, then they equalised, and then the second one uh, obviously gave us a lead again in the 93rd minute. Nice. That's, uh, that's what you want from a player. It's definitely an impact. Am I right in thinking he played for Porto under Jose Mourinho? Uh, it's very possible. Or is it um, Sporting Lisbon? He, I can't remember. It was something, something he like did that. play for Porto, yeah. He played for Porto... 2003 to 2004. So. so he would have been part of the Champions League squad. Yeah. 100%. He did play for Sporting later in his career as well. Lovely stuff. Um, I have another player who played for a Portuguese team, uh, which was Benfica. He, and then he played for Man City and he was another marquee signing along with uh, Rubinho. His name is Giovanni. Had a terrible, terrible time at Man City, but he did move to Hull City, uh, which was probably a good fit for him. And he was... Playing for a team really that was destined for the drop to the championship, but his goals and his overall play kept what was a very, very weak whole city team 
kept them in the Premier League for at least another season and then played with them with a little bit in Championship. Um, and they got him relatively cheap as well. I think they only spent £10 million on him. So he turned out to be quite an influential signing as well. And my last one for relegation, my last player for relegation, is Danny Murphy, who obviously had quite a distinguished career with Liverpool, Charlton and Spurs. It would be in his first season in in Fulham, though, in the 07-08 season, that his leadership skills, his goals and his assists saw him survive the drop when Fulham finished 17th. So they were very, very nearly relegated, but he kind of pulled them through the other end. And then the next season, they finished 7th. So not only did he pull them through, but he got, he, he got them into Europe as captain the, um, the, you know, in, within a year. That's, yeah, that's, that's incredible. You don't get much more impactful than that. 100%. 100%. Is there anyone else of that ilk that you've got, you've got for me? Um, uh, no, well, without, nah, not really. Without just keep listing more Pompey players. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I've got some Pompey players coming up in a second. Um, but I want to give a shout out to the goalkeepers because we haven't really spoken too much about them as yeah. of yet. Um, so Van der Sar started the decade of the noughties with Juventus. And where do you go from Juventus? Fulham, of course. Um, as, as any weird man does. Um, but Manchester United picked him up at the age of 34 for a lonely sum of £2 million, pounds, uh, which is arguably one of the bargains of the century when, it, when he, we, we all know what we know now when he went on to win the Champions League in multiple Premier League, FA Cups, etc. Um, but in that last season with Fulham, he had the top highest save rate of 161 saves in that 04-05 season, which is a stat, a stat that many clubs overlooked, um, but Sir Alex did not and after struggling with the likes of Barthez, Taibi, Roy Carroll, as we mentioned last week, Tim Howard. <laughs> so when by the time Edwin van der Sar came in, in his first season, in, just in the Premier League, he made 18 clean sheets for Manchester United. Incredible. Uh, which is insane. Um, we give a brief mention to him earlier. Petr Cech as well. Sure. He moved to England and to Chelsea from France. And not only did he move from France, but he moved from Rennes. Now, Rennes finished in the French League ninth. So when you buy a keeper from a mid-table French league team, you might not always expect the best for them. But instantly, Pedacek would make an impact in that new Abramovich-Chelsea side. Not only did he win the Premier League and the League Cup in his first season, but made 24 clean sheets, only conceding 13 goals the whole season. Insane. Uh, I'm not sure how much they spent on him, but that's got to be up there for... Yeah, well, I've got it down as well. So they spent seven million pounds on him. Really? What? Yeah, what's you know not bad. Um, and then I think that's what two thousand and four, and then they sell him in well over a decade later, in like twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen. They sell him to Arsenal for ten million pounds. So they actually make a profit after having him for ten years and winning all those trophies with him and always clean sheets always games he won for them essentially yeah, at times maybe they go on to make a profit it's insane it is nuts and my last keeper might make you quite happy Mr Harry Hansford former England number one between the sticks and forever known as Calamity James it is of course David James of course now looking at the stats arguably his best season was with Portsmouth in the 06-07 season uh, after yeah. leaving Man City for £1.2 million pounds. Um, in that season, he would make a career-high 172 saves, saving Pompey from relegation and uh, helping them finish in an impressive ninth 
So you finished, you know, ninth in James's first season, uh, yeah, which is, you know, yeah, just stupid, really, isn't it? It's just mad. Yeah. I think it's, I remember as well people being so upset when it was announced we had signed David James because he had earned, he had earned this uh, reputation of being, uh, the nickname Clammy James, you know, being this guy that isn't as good as he once seemed to be. But then, obviously, he was just... I think all goalkeepers mature as they get older anyway, don't they? Get better. And yeah. he just became... He just became something else. He, uh, not all, but a lot. But he just became something else. And uh, I remember being at Frank Park and those, when, the, when the first time people started chanting, England's, England's number one. And you're like, yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen. He plays at Portsmouth. And then, uh, obviously, he became England's number one again. And... Out onto it for a few years as well. Yeah, he well deserves as well. It's him and Paul Robinson who are battling out for it. So, but Paul Robinson made more high-profile errors than James did, arguably. Yeah, um, it was it was a tricky time for keepers, I guess, wasn't it? I suppose yeah. like most, a lot of keepers age like a fine wine; they get better with age. Like David Seaman got better in his later years. James got better in his later years. Schmeichel got better in his later years. Tim Howard, Brad Friedel definitely got better in their later years. Like Tim Howard was sure. shite at United. Well, not shite, but it wasn't wasn't great. Um, but then some keepers like Bartes, they turned a bit sour towards the end. So you look at Joe Hart more recently. Yeah, true. You couldn't save a goal for Toffee. Yeah, mad, absolutely mad. Um, so my last few players, just very quickly, is Lauren Robert, joined Newcastle from PSG for 9.5 million, uh, which is a lot of money for 2001. Um, and he helped them to fourth place, getting a Champions League sport. And his first season, he got 17 assists and 10 goals. Bit of a weird one, this next one, Mikhail Forsell. Now, he's kind of renowned for being a bit of a flop wherever he went. However, when he was on loan at Birmingham City from Chelsea oh, yes. in the 03 04 season, he scored a whooping 10 goals and helped Birmingham City to an all time high 10th place finish in the Premier League. Um, definitely impactful there. And then it never really kind of worked out for him. But the last player is one of the most controversial players, perhaps in the English game. We often we know about Jermaine Pennant when he was the first ever player to wear a tag on his leg in you know from prison, a prison tag on his leg uh, in, in the Premier League. Uh, who else done it? There's another player who done it as well. Can't remember. Um, but this player is king of the criminals and king of the uh, Championship side, Watford. It is Marlon King. Quite literally, the king. Uh, he almost single-handedly got Watford promoted to the Premier League twice after really su- unsuccessful spells with Gillingham, Notts Forest and Leeds. He somehow ended up at Watford. In his first season at Watford, he would turn his form around and score 21 times and get nine assists and get them into the Premier League. Unfortunately, his form did not continue in the Premier League as they finished 20th and got relegated straight away. But he would stay with Watford and have a similar kind of uh, form score lots of goals, get lots of assists and get them back into the Premier League almost straight away. But his on-off-the-pitch antics, I should say, are just ludicrous. They include he headbutted legend Dean Windass in a casino in Hull. He had 14, 14 criminal convictions between the, the, the years 2002 and 2009, ranging from fines, driving bans and criminal damage. In 2002, he was imprisoned for receiving stolen goods and he was released after five months. Gillingham still decided to pay him his wages, so he was still earning a lot of money, even though he was in prison. In 2008, he punched a 20-year-old girl in the face 
was charged with ABH and again sentenced to 18 months in prison. And he was also put on the sex uh, offenders register. In 2013, he was arrested again for crashing a car and injuring someone, and then arrested again the same year for a hit and run. In 2014, he was sentenced to another 18 months in prison and uh, banned from driving. And once he got out of prison that time around, he moved to Zambia and married Miss Zambia 2009. Of course he did. That's what you do, isn't it? When you've uh, had the string of convictions, you move to Zambia. The life of Marlon King, ladies and gentlemen. The life of Marlon King. Maybe we need a new uh, feature where it's uh, for Marlon King Hall of Shame and we just have <laughs> him for on and we have like uh, Pennant players that actually are actual uh, villains rather than <laughs> for Robbie Savage Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Where they're sort well, of Lee Bowyer. Villains. Yeah, Lee Bowyer had a couple on the pitch fights. <sighs> Graham Lasso had a fight, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> what, is, there, is there any. Um, Birmingham City manager. Yeah, is there, is there any noughties? Noughties, um players have a certain like jail or prison. I'm trying to think, it's got to be security guard. Must be it's someone. Cool. Yeah, it's right so into us. Short... Surely it's got to be one that's probably in prison right now. Surely. Oh, 100 percent. There's so many dodgy things that prison uh, footballers have done to get out of like long-term sentences. But yeah, maybe that's a feature for the future. Um, so, Harry, have you got any more impactful transfer signings before we move on to our regular features? Yeah, the last uh, transfer I want to talk about isn't one necessarily that's uh, to the Premier League, but from the Premier League. And that being the uh, the Dave Beckham transfer in 2003, uh, mainly because it took Dave Beckham from being a good English footballer to Dave Beckham for brand and really kicked off that big money era of the noughties that uh, we probably, why we love the noughties. Um, so, yeah, I just thought, Dave Beckham from Manchester United to Real Madrid uh, in 2003 was would be one of the most impactful transfers. One of the most impactful transfers in the uh, 2000s. Definitely, 100. I think yeah, it's because they were building that Galactico squad as well. And then you're quite right. It, Dave Beckham just became this absolute mega superstar, even with his move to you know LA Galaxy and like AC Milan. Sure. It was it was just a media storm, and he was still you know a very good player as well. You've got to got to yeah remember that. Sure. But you're quite right. That's probably the only transfer I can think of really, where it was like you know it was just about the market. It was just as much about the marketing than it was the actual football. And yeah, you know, arguably that's the reason why Real Madrid is still well relatively wealthy today. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah, it's probably a decent. One. I suppose you could arguably say Ronaldo when he moved to Madrid as well. Yeah, Cristiano. But, um, even when, yeah, even Cristiano to Juventus is mainly, I'd say, marketing like for the amount of shirts they sell. Oh, they sold um 500,000 shirts, something stupid before we even played a game for them. It's crazy, they haven't got that many fans, have they? Jesus, <laughs> you've got no fans. <laughs> Get him on, fair play. Shall we move on to our first regular feature? You're talking about your Burkamps and your Omri's and your Vieira's and all these guys. They give you everything in the game, both sides of the game. They put their foot in and they can play. Well then, ladies and gentlemen, it's time now for our first feature of this episode of the Team of Our Lives podcast. It is, of course, through the Keown Hole. This is the regular feature in which we induct two players into this feature that were far too good to play for the club or clubs they ended up playing for. 
So, Harry, would you like to go first? Who is your nomination this week yeah. for Through the Keown Hole? Okay, so I've, uh, it's quite convenient for we ended the last segments we did because I've gone for none other than Japanese David Beckham himself. Uh, he t- Let me try and get this right. Hitoshi Nakata, who, uh, if you remember, was just an icon of the time. Uh, obviously made, made his name playing for Parma in Italy, but ended up at everyone's favourite club to end up at in the Premier League, Bolton Wanderers. Certainly does. It's just that idea that he's considered Japanese David Beckham. Yeah, he played for Bolton. Imagine David Beckham playing for Bolton. It's just not going to happen. I mean, obviously, Nakata was, uh, you know, most famously considered to be like Dave Beckham, maybe because they both played in midfield. Um, maybe because Nakata dyed his hair blonde long before Beckham did. Um, and also adopted fashion probably long before Beckham did. He uh, started modelling for uh, Calvin Klein while he was out in Italy, attending runway shows. He really was the original uh, sort of celebrity uh, footballer in many ways. Did he, have a, did he have a spice scale on his arm? He didn't. <laughs> that oh, might be the difference. Um, but obviously, talented as well. Um, I believe... Uh, let's see. He'd... Uh, He's won the Coppa Italia uh, with Parma. He won Serie A with Roma. Um, he was three times nominated for Ballon d'Or, four times nominated for FIFA Player of uh, of the Year. Uh, he scored forty-one goals from the center mid of center of the center of pitch. What's pretty good. Um, he scored eleven international goals for Japan. So solid career and then ends his career on loan to Bolton in uh, the mid 2000s um, where I think he made a handful of appearances before retiring at, at quite a young age um, yeah I think he was like 28 just, or something. yeah it's just crazy to appear so like you go from Perugia to Roma to Parma on loan to Bologna to Florentina to Bolton <laughs> Mm. It just doesn't, doesn't make doesn't, sense to me. Doesn't quite have the same ring to it, is it? All these no. Latin Latin countries and <laughs> or, or clubs, even. And then, uh, yeah, mad, absolutely mad. He was he was a sensational yeah. player. Very oh, busy. Yeah, he had a great eye for goal. You know, he was just technically incredible. Far, like it's, it's surprising he didn't come to England earlier on in his career and for a, a, a bigger team. Mm. I think maybe he stood out. He maybe stood out in Italy because he was quite erratic and he was very fast-paced. And you know, traditionally in Serie A, it's a bit slower pace, isn't it? Um, oh, sure. yeah, they, they like to pass the ball, but um, maybe that's why he stood out. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, sensational player. You know, he's a good player because he's an icon on FIFA. So uh, yeah, my player, however, is not an icon on FIFA, but he's an icon in real life, and he played for two clubs in England. Um, where not only was he an impact transfer, but he was also far too good to play for both of these clubs. Granted, one of those clubs was in the 90s, um, but the other one was in the noughties, so he does qualify. Um, this week, two-time through the Keown Hole uh, nomination is, of course, well, let's actually start and see if you can work it out. First of all, he in the 90s, he joined none other than the Colt Legend Club Middlesbrough, but he joined them after winning Serie A 
and the Champions League with Juventus. So he's gone from Juventus winning the double to Middlesbrough. Any idea? He made an instant impact in the Northeast by scoring 31 goals in 48 appearances. This unfortunately wasn't enough because he stopped them. He, he didn't stop them from getting relegated. So he's won Serie A and the Champions League with Juventus and then gets relegated with Middlesbrough despite scoring over 30 goals for them. He then ended up back in Italy with Lazio and won Serie A with Lazio for this only the second time in their history. So Lazio have only won Serie A twice and their striker was this man the second time around in 2000. And in 2001, moved to Derby County. Okay. It, it is, of course, the silver-haired fox himself, Fabrizio Ravinelli. Yes. When you said Derby, it sort of came together, but before that... Um, so, yes, Fabrizio Ravinelli himself, he only actually ever scored 11 goals for Derby County, and unfortunately, he was relegated with them as well as Middlesbrough in his first season. And then ended up actually playing in the championship for a little bit as well. So he was arguably the best player ever to play in the championship of all time and the most successful player to play in the championship, other than probably Pierre van Hooydonk, who just you know, single-handedly promoted Nottingham Forest. But that's a story for another time. Um, but yeah, what a sensational player. He was so prolific. He was so tenacious. He was a bully. He you know, was controversial on and off the pitch. He was everything a Norse's footballer should be. Um, and I could think of no greater candidate than Fabrizio Ravinelli for a player who was far too good to play for those two teams. For sure. Yeah, far too, especially, especially that. It's the, it's the times he played for those teams as well. So, to, to get relegated both times. And, and then, obviously, anyone that played in for Derby County <laughs> sort of deserves some applause for dealing with that. But, um, yeah. What more can you say? Definitely one of the best players to ever have played in the championship, of course. Steps past Toure, but not past Zambrona. Given straight to Paul Scholes! What about that? What about that? Excellent stuff. It's time now to introduce a new future. A future? future? A new future? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a prime minister. I'm going to promise you a new future. Um, you go from pro wrestler to prime minister. <laughs> Quite a lot of um, pro wrestlers turn you know, become mayors of like random random towns in, yeah, in America. I think for sure. Kane is a mayor somewhere. There we go. Yeah, um, I believe so. Enough wrestling talk. We keep diverting to wrestling. Oh, by, by the way, we know we said that we've discussed a new feature about uh, um, footballers who've been in prison. Yeah. How about Phil Jail Kielka? No, it doesn't really work. Does it? <laughs> So bad it might just work. Yeah, Stephen Prisoner. No, it doesn't really work. Um, if again, once again, ladies and gentlemen, listening at home, if you can come up with any prison-based puns for this new feature, write them in Twitter at Team of Our Lives, Instagram Football. Because I don't think Phil Jail Kielka. It doesn't it doesn't doesn't quite fit the rhythm of speech. Anyway, it's time for our brand new feature. Um, so in in the noughties, the rise of social media started uh, towards the back end of the noughties. Facebook, you might have even had a Twitter account in the early days. You might even have had a Bebo account while you were at school. But the OG of the social media website was Friends Reunited. So we introduced to you 
Kevin Friends Reunited. And in this feature, we bring to you players who you never knew play together. So the first unlikely pairing in our first ever feature edition of Kevin Friends Reunited, did you know Rivaldo, the Ballon d'Or winning Rivaldo, played with Yaya Torre in 2007 with Olympiacos? Ah, I didn't know he went to Olympiacos. I didn't know Yaya Torre was there at all, let alone at the same time. What a match. This one always makes me laugh. Did you know Zinedine Zidane, you definitely know this, but it makes me laugh, played with Jonathan Woodgate (laughs) at Real Madrid. (laughs) That's the funniest bit about it, is that Woodgate was at Real Madrid. That'd be like, I don't Uh, know, who could you name now? Who's like a bog-standard centre-back? Be like Harry Maguire signing for Man United. Hey, it's not, it's not going that far. It'd be like Phil Jagielka playing with Neymar now. It just doesn't make <laughs> sense, you know what I mean? Uh, next up, our third option. Sure. Did you know that Sean Wright Phillips played with Ballon d'Or winner George Weir in Manchester City 2001? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I don't even. I didn't realise George Weah was still around in 2001. Still the only African player to win the Ballon d'Or. This one is impressive. This is this is the one that breaks the rules and is not in the noughties. Did you know David Beckham played with David Moyes? Okay. Preston North End, oh, 94-95 yeah. season. Okay. He was on, so he was on loan from Manchester United Incredible. at Preston North End and played with David Moyes, of all people. Insane, absolutely insane. And this one is yeah, sure. the last one of our feature that may or may not stay, depending on how the audience reacts. Kevin Friends reunited. Is the quintessential, this is the quintessential team of our lives. Did these two players play together? Well, they did. I'm telling you, they did. Roberto Mancini, Italian Hall of Famer, ex-Manchester City manager, played with our very own Robbie Savage at Leicester 2001. <laughs> I, I know this. I know this happened because uh, I'm about to bring it up in, in another feature. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, amazing. it happened for sure. <laughs> certainly did it certainly did happen anyway that is the end of uh, that feature I mean, it might be the end of that feature for good if you don't like it uh, that was the uh, Kevin Friends reunited segment Ronaldinho takes and David Seaman's call off his line and Brazil take the lead but it's time now for everybody's favourite part of the show it is time to induct two more people into the Robbie Savage Hall of Fame now for those of you new and uh, listening to this for the first time, the Robbie Savage Fall of Fame is where we find players or we remember players and we think, what the hell were they doing in the Premier League? They were terrible. Absolutely terrible. So I'm going to go first this week, as Harry did last week. And uh, let me take you on a journey down memory lane to induct (laughs) this terrible player into the Robbie Savage Hall of Fame. Now, last week, you may remember, I nominated former Liverpool striker Andre Voronin 
And unfortunately, this week, we have exactly the same. We have an even worse uh, striker from Liverpool as well. And uh, the curse with big clubs, I think, is that they can afford to kind of gamble on players. So maybe that's why they end up with more flops than maybe smaller teams who have to stick with those strikers. Um, But this striker only scored 68 goals, not for one club, not across two clubs, but nine clubs. He only he scored 68 goals across nine clubs, which is a terrible, terrible ratio. Um, it is, of course, the illustrious David Ngo. <laughs> now, he, he moved to Liverpool in 2008 from Paris Saint-Germain and uh, for PSG, he only ever scored one goal. But in his first season at Anfield, he was triple that and score three. <laughs> he would then spend three years at Liverpool and only score 19 goals in all competitions. So actually, it's better than Voronin. Um, he would then move to Bolton Wanderers in 2011, helping them get relegated to the championship by only scoring four goals in his first season. And he only scored 16 goals in the three seasons he was at the Reebok. He then made three appearances for Swansea in the Premier League before moving back to France with Reims or Reims. And again, he only scored 10 goals in two seasons for that particular French team. Um, he then moved to Greek team Paineos in the Super League, only scoring three goals for them. And where do you go from Greece? Of course, you go to sunny Scotland and you play for Ross County, where he would only score three goals in two seasons before he moved to Budapest Honved, where he would score a record high 15 goals across two seasons. He retired last year at the tender age of 31 with Lithuanian club Zalgiris after only scoring one goal. Now, his greatest achievement to date is with the under-16 French national team in which he scored 11 goals in 13 appearances and it would seem he's very much been riding on those coattails ever since he played for the under-16 team. So my nomination this week for the Robbie Savage Hall of Fame is the illustrious ex-Liverpool striker David Ungo. It's a great pick. He's a. I remember when he had he had some crazy hairstyles, right? Uh, I think he dyed blonde at one point when he was at Bolton, maybe. Maybe I um, when he turned up at Liverpool, thinking, "Oh, this is going to be this is, he's going to be someone." And obviously, he's like, "I'm not a scout." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I remember being excited for him, and then obviously his career just continued to go down with spiral but how you get a move how how you how Liverpool decide to sign him after he scored one goal for PSG is is crazy enough but then how you another Premier League team like oh we'll take a we'll take a go yeah it's just insane what 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 was Sam thinking we'll put so it this all way these great players put it this way if I if my mum got taken hostage and um there was a man with a gun to her head yeah. And I had to choose between David Ingo to take a penalty to save my mum's life and Stevie Wonder. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, say, I say, Stevie, get your boots on. <laughs> yeah. Put it that Fair way. Fair enough point. So I've, uh, I'm looking at the same club you are here with Liverpool. And um, you might need to help me with my pronunciations again. Is it? Is it a... It's a is it a striker? He's not a striker. He's a centimeter. He's a centimeter. Um, and it's 
Can I get? Can I guess? Salaf. No. Okay, it's not. I was no. going to say Igor Biscan, but um... uh, no, I've gone for Salaf Dio. <laughs> Uh, or D-A-O, whatever <laughs> you pronounce it. Who? Um, say, it say it again. So it's Salif. Salif. And then, this is the bit I'm getting confused on. It's D-A-O. It's D-I-A-O. D-I-A-O. Salif D-A-O. D-A-O? D-A-O. Can't say I've ever heard of him. Yeah. So he's signed... <laughs> okay, brilliant. So he come from Monaco... Uh, to Liverpool and uh, Gerard Houllier was manager and he says he is going to be our Vieira obviously he wasn't there Vieira um, just injury prone very slow centre midfielder just wasn't going to work um, so from from Liverpool he goes out on loan to Birmingham City does nothing there uh Gets injured, they don't decide to sign him. So then Portsmouth decides, oh, where have a go? Sign him on loan. Harry Redknapp uh, soon regrets that one because he gets injured, doesn't play a lot. When he does, he's just sl- he's, he's just slow. <laughs> and uh, he's, yeah, uh, so he's terrible at Liverpool, terrible at Birmingham, terrible at Pompey. So that's three three teams in the English uh, leagues that. He'd somehow managed to convince to sign him. Um, but then he signs for a fourth English team, and that team's Stoke. And he has he has a quite a career at Stoke. He actually stays there, um, and I think maybe even retires there, play, plays a lot of games for him. And people in Stoke will tell you, oh, no, he was good for us in the Premier League. He slowed down the pace when we needed to. He's like, yeah, of course he did. He was he's the slowest midfielder I've ever seen. <laughs> but you got to remember, this is a Stoke team at the top of their shithousery. And he does fit in for them. But for everyone else, he was just terrible. And the fact that he played for four teams in the English leagues means he's got to go in the Robbie Savage Hall of Fame. 100%, without a doubt. Salif Dial, is it? Salif Dial. Dial, Dial, Dial. He played that few times to Pompey, but I couldn't even remember... His name. I had. To, I had to like the amount of uh, spellings I was writing in to try and find his. <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't even know. Didn't even know he existed. Career. It's time now for deal or no deal. Regular listeners and viewers will know this as the section in which I give Harry and Harry gives me five transfers from the noughties, but are they true or are they false? Well, it's time to find out if it was a deal or a no deal. So, Mr. Harry Hansford, would you like to give me my five transfers first? Yeah, of course. Uh, All right, so we'll start with Pep Guardiola. Did he go on loan? Atalanta in 2002. Oh my god, you've not you've not uh, taken any half measures here, have you? Straight in there with a hard one. Did he go on loan to Atalanta? Uh, I know he played for Roma. Well, can I, can you say where did he go on loan from Atalanta? Uh, from one so, club to another club. You got to tell me that. Yeah. You got to tell me the two clubs. <laughs> uh, so I believe the club he was at was I didn't, the only reason I'm not telling you is I didn't know it down. I believe it is it's an Italian side, but it's like Brescia. 
Brescia. Brescia? I believe it's them. I mean, I'd have to double check. Um, was he at Brescia? Oh, I don't know. I, I'm going to say false. I just, it, yeah, false. No deal. Yeah, no, it was it is false. He went he went to Roma. Um, oh, he did. Jenks Brain. Jenks Brain. Yeah. Yeah. Brescia to Roma. Fair play. Um, one point to me. Yeah. Okay, so second one mentioned earlier. Did Roberto Mancini go from Lazio to Leicester on loan in 2001? He did. Truth. Deal. There we go. Two points. He did. He did. All right. Did Mark Hughes go from Southampton to Everton in the year 2000? Um, I'm going to say, I think he was at Blackburn. False. No deal. It's it's uh, it's true. He did go. Really? In 2000. He then went to Blackburn, I think, in 2001. It is the same Mark Hughes. It's not like a random Mark Hughes. No, it's the same Mark Hughes. Southampton player to Everton. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, So then I've got... Did Stuart Pearce move from West Ham to Bradford in 2001? Wow. Well, he definitely played for West Ham um, around 2001. Yeah, for sure. But would he have gone to Bradford? Why would he go to Bradford? It's not even anywhere near West Ham. Bradford was in the Premier League in 2001. I I, I think if he went to Bradford, I would know. So the fact that I'm questioning it, it's surely got to be no deal. Yeah, it's no deal. He went to Man City. Yeah, of course he did, yeah. yeah. Bradford. Bradford. So, I don't know if, you, if you've worked out, but those first four there are all Manchester City managers. I sort of oh. ran out of Manchester City managers that had played in the Premier League in the 2000s. So I've gone for a player instead for the fifth. Very good. Very good. <laughs> um and that's did Richard Dunn leave Manchester City for West Bromwich Albion in 2009? Did Richard Dunn leave Manchester City for West Bromwich Albion? I'm pretty sure he played for Aston Villa and then QPR. So I'm going to go for no deal. You're correct. He went to Aston Villa. Nice. That's four out of five. Four out of five. Well, yeah, we're consistent, if nothing else. I think we've got four out of five every single week. There we go. Yeah, um, sure. So you may have noticed in the first, when you said Pep Guardiola, I kind of winced. I went, uh, a bit of a bit of a hard one to start off with. Uh, but then I just looked down at what I got for you and thought, you've got no chance. So... Um, <laughs> okay, I'll see. But uh, I don't know, I think you might do okay. So the first one, as is the aforementioned George Weir, former African Player of the Year and uh, FIFA Footballer of the Year and the only African player to get the Ballon d'Or. Did he move from Manchester City, who we established he did play for in 2001, did he move to Marseille on a free deal? Oh, no my. deal. Um, I actually have no idea. As I say, I wasn't even aware he was still, still around at that point. Um I'm going to say it's a deal. You'd be correct, sir. 
He was at Chelsea, moved to Manchester City, and then went to Marseille on a free. Number two, Danny Higginbottom. Wonderful name. Did he move from Derby yeah. County, from Derby County, to Manchester City in a player swap with Darren Huckabee? Deal or no deal? Oh, Higginbottom's Huckabee. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, let's go for the deal. No deal. Unlucky, sir. Uh... Tell me which country Danny or which, well, it's going to give it away. I'll just say it. Uh, Danny Higginbottom represented Gibraltar at international level. Probably their most famous player. Oh, I didn't know that. There we go, you do. Uh, number three, Clarence Seedorf. Did he move from Inter Milan to AC Milan in a player swap with Francesco Cocco? Oh. Definitely play... Okay. He's definitely played for AC. Oh, man. I have no idea, to be honest. Um, yeah, let's just go for deal again. Correct. It was a deal, sir. Well, All well. right. We'll take that. Certainly do. Number four, David Bentley. Remember David okay. Bentley? Yeah. Did he move from Arsenal... To Blackburn Rovers for 1.58 million. I'm oh, sure he did. Deal. For sure he did. Final answer? <laughs> I don't know why it is now. Chris Tarrant with me. Um, I've said deal every time. Let's just keep the streak going. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might get you might get half of them. It, it was a deal, correct? Um, number five, and your last one, and you need this one to draw with me. Did John, John Arnorisa, Norwegian left-back, who did he leave Liverpool for? Did he move from Liverpool to AC Milan for 4.95 million? Deal or no deal? To AC Milan? Hmm. Liverpool to AC I'm Milan. I'm no deal. Correct again, and your level, and you draw with me, sir. So, yeah, John Arnorisa, he didn't go to Ace Milan for 4.95 million. He actually went to Roma and then, of course, joined Fulham after Roma. So, that is it for Deal or No Deal. We both got four out of five this time around. It's time now for our last feature of this uh, long episode due to internet connections. But uh, it's time now. <laughs> For starting 11. Malari. That's a good ball for Roberto Carlos. Hooked into the penalty area towards the end. This is the game in which we pick a tremendous match from the noughties. And myself and Harry have to try and remember and guess the starting lineup from that particular match. I have a match for Harry, and Harry has a match for me. And I will go first with Harry's match. And we spoke about it last week. It was Steve McLaren's last match in charge of England before he got sacked for not qualifying England for Euro 2008. The match in question was England against Croatia in 2007. England lost the match 3-2 at Wembley and thus did not qualify for the European Championships. 
Are you ready, Mr. Harry? As ever. <laughs> as ever. Here we go. Right, we're going to put three minutes on the clock, as we always do. Let Mr. Harry compose himself. Ready for what is a, a relatively difficult game. If I'm going to give you some clues. Yeah. Um, yes, they played with five midfielders and one striker, four defenders and one goalkeeper. Um, usually you have one goalkeeper, don't you? Yeah, usually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> imagine a game where they had like two. That'd be great. Um, in this match, they didn't play what would be an obvious first team. They played some quite. Okay. They they played some quite left field players, but they also okay. played with some mainstay players as well. For example, yeah, all right. So it's a, it's a mix. It's a mix. It's a mixed bag of the England team. So 2007 England match. The match which they lost 3-2 at Wembley to Croatia and thus didn't qualify for Euro 2008. And sacking Steve McLaren starting now for three minutes. Go. All right, let's go big names. Uh, Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney, no. He's not the striker. Defoe? Defoe was on the bench. Uh, so striker then must be... Crouch? Correct. All right. Strike is done. Five midfielders, you said. Gerard and Lampard have to be. Uh, Gerard, yes, Lampard on the bench. Oh, no, okay. Lampard. No, Lampard was there. Sorry, it was. Sorry. Okay, cool. So that's two. Uh, seven's too late for skull, isn't it? Um, Beckham. Beckham was on the bench. Oh, so then. Oh, okay. Uh, what other weird players did we have at the time? Uh, Joe Cole? Yes. Um, I said there was no school. We'll come back for the other one. Um, or the other two. Uh, Afterback's got to be Ferdinand, right? Got to be. No. No? Uh, Terry? No. Campbell? <laughs> yes. Um, Glenn Johnson? Uh, no. Uh, Ashley Cole. On the bench. Wayne Bridge. Yes. That era, innit? How did you get okay. that? How did you um, get that? It's left back, innit? <laughs> yeah. Um, do, do, you have a right, do you have a Sorry. right back? Sometimes plays a centre back. Okay. Uh, oh, oh is, this when we're, is this when we're... In that strange period of time we thought Michael Richards was better than Glenn Johnson. Correct. Yeah, okay. Uh, in goal, is, is it Robson? Is it James? Uh, James is on the bench. Was not Rob Green. Was not Robinson. <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay, so we'll go back to midfield. Uh, not Bex. You've got one centre back. Oh, I've only got one centre back. One uh, centre back to get two midfielders. One's a mid central midfielder, and the other one's a winger. Oh, it's going to be. Um, oh, we've spoken about him earlier. Um, yes, we were. Yes, we Roy were. Phillips. Yeah, Roy Phillips. Sure, Roy Phillips. Sure, Roy Phillips. Uh, another centre back. Claylon Campbell. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> he's from that time. Um, That's a weird head because of the car crash. Has a weird head because of a car crash. Yes. 
that's that's even that's threw me off further. <laughs> um, I said so, so I said Richards Campbell Rich, someone with weird head. Don't have a goalkeeper. Two, one. Uh, it's over. It's over. Sorry, sorry, for you. Three minutes are up, sir. Um, better today, pre- though. No, you don't. 100, well, 110% improvement on the Portsmouth side you couldn't <laughs> name last week. Um, I'm surprised <laughs> you got Crouch. Surprised you got Cole. You got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight out of 11. Oh, Not bad at all. Not bad. You should be happy. Um, you never would have got the goalkeeper because it's Scott Carson. Oh, my God. Yeah, Scott Carson. The defender with a weird head is... Julian Lescott. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Just now, I'm like, oh, weird head, Lescott, of course. <laughs> um, and the midfielder you didn't get is the all-time appearance record holder in the Premier League. It is Gareth uh, Barry. Gareth Barry. On the bench was David Beckham, Jermaine Defoe, Darren Bent, David James, Ashley Cole, Wes Brown, Owen Hargreaves. How that team didn't beat Croatia. Well, Croatia just had a better side. They had the likes of Platicosa in goal, Modric, Dario Serna. Uh, Rakitic, Simeonic, all the itches. Um, very good. But eight out of 11, which means I need to get better than eight. Bear in mind, I gave you a few clues. I just want to get that caveat in there now for when it's my game. <laughs> um, so you could take you could take a resounding win. But um, yeah, let me know what, what I've got in store for me this week. All right. So um, I'm going to go for a game we spoke about quite a bit before, and that being the... Uh... 2008 quarter-final VFA Cup when Portsmouth beat Manchester United. But who was playing for Manchester United? You twat. <laughs> you twat. From what I can tell, it's essentially a 4-4-2. Okay. A lot of you, you know, most of your big plays of the time. Maybe one or two that you might find a little bit harder to think of, but I think I think you'll get I think you'll get all of them. To be fair, you reckon? Well, I need to beat eight. Yeah. I need to beat eight. Um, what I year is it? Two thousand, two thousand eight, two thousand. Yeah, two thousand eight. All right, so three minutes around the clock. Now, in goal. Not in goal. Start. He was against Portsmouth. He came on and then he oh, got sent off. Uh, Van der Sar. Van Sorry? der Sar. Van der Sar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Gary Neville. Uh, no Patrice, Neville. Patrice Evra. Yeah. Vidic. Ferdinand. Yeah. yeah. Um, who the fuck was the right back? Oh, Fabio de Silva. No. Come back to the right back. Uh, yeah. Carrick. No Carrick. Skulls. Giggs. Yes. Skulls is there. No Giggs. Ronaldo. Ronaldo is there. Darren Fletcher. No Fletcher. Wayne Rooney. Rooney is there for sure. Tevez. Tevez was there for sure. Um, so those are the two strikers. So what am I missing? Two, you're missing two from the midfield and the right, right back. back. Uh, John O'Shea. So basically, you're drawn back. with me at the moment, but you've, you've got two minutes left. It's not John O'Shea. <laughs> We used to have a midfield. Anderson. Not Anderson. Uh, Nanny. Nanny is on the pitch, yes. Um, Owen Hargreaves. Hargreaves, yes. Uh, We've just so got one just, to go. 
Who the fuck was the right back? Was it a traditional right back? Was it someone who was centre back? Uh, I think he could play across the play, He played right back for you a lot, but I think technically he might be a centre back. Gabriel Heinzer, um, Mikel Sevest. Uh, fuck, this is going to be fucking annoying. Kushak came on as a sub. Um, <laughs> Kushak was playing right back, no. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine, Booker T. Um, <laughs> well, not again. Uh, who the hell was the right back? Right back, right back, right back, right back. I can't even, don't think of that. Many right backs. Gerard Piquet, he was a male then. Um, no, he was like, it wasn't him. Oh, it must have been someone quite young. Um... Ashley Young was never near the club at that point. Oh, Antonio Valencia? No. No, he's not Valencia. Um, Who the hell? I want to his actual position right now. How long's left? What have you got on the clock? Uh, it's here. It's 26 seconds. Uh, uh, Phil Jones. No, oh, Phil Jones. Yeah, well. Uh, getting desperate. Getting desperate. Uh, who is it? Five, four, nope. three. Oh, got two. it. Missing man for you. It's West Brown. Oh, shit in hell. Why did I not get that? What's even a yeah, That's, that's what's the one it? I thought would be hard. But it's, that was a solid team. You say it'd be hard. I mentioned him about three minutes ago because he was on the sub bench for your game. <laughs> That's how forgettable West Brown is. <sighs> forgettable. He was quite solid there. He's a solid defender. Yeah, he was. Um, versatile at the back. West, left back, right back, centre back. West Brown. What a game. What a game. Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is finally it for this week's episode of Team of Our Lives, the uh, impactful transfer podcast on this occasion join us again next week every friday and we release clips on youtube of highlights every tuesday as well if you haven't already wherever you're listening slash watching this subscribe follow comment as well and follow us on twitter and on instagram twitter is at team of our lives and instagram is ultimate11.football if you have any suggestions of players or discussions you want us to have by all means let us know but until next time sayonara Team. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.